Today's scripture is Matthew 14, verses 13 through 21. For those of you whose eyes are good enough to see in the Pew Bibles, it's on page 14 in the New Testament. And for the rest of us, Cheryl will have it up here on the wall. Feeding the 5,000. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. They replied, We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. And he said, Bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And all ate and were filled. And they took up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men, besides women and children. Praise the Lord. Can we say amen? Amen. amen. All right. Amen. Great. Here we go. Our soul food, we're calling this. It's interesting. There are a variety of feeding stories in the Gospels. Here's one of them, the feeding of the 5,000. Another one, the feeding of the 4,000. In fact, this story, the feeding of the 5,000, is, is repeated in all four Gospels. So we have the Synoptic Gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, Luke. And then we have John, which isn't quite the same. And so it's not called a synoptic, but it's a gospel. So it's rare, actually, that a miracle is found in all four gospels. So this one, the fact that it is, suggests that it's an important story to all of the evangelists. And so it comes down to us from the first century as an important story. So the feeding of the 5,000. So what is, what is that about? Well, I think fundamentally, it's, it's really about the, the kingdom of God is one of abundance and not scarcity. That we often live our lives based on scarcity. You know, there's not enough to go around. There's not enough money. There's not enough space. We can't let people into the country because, well, where are they going to live? How are they going to get a job? What might it mean to me? So, you know, we, so we hold back. All that limitation is, is our viewpoint of fear and scarcity. There's just not enough to go around, so I've got to take care of myself and my family. Scarcity. And fear. Our world is driven by scarcity and fear. And what the kingdom of God is saying is, no, that's not the point. God's kingdom is massive. God's kingdom is great. And there is enough for all. There's enough for everybody. Everybody can come. So 
It's that welcoming spirit that we see in Jesus and really in this story. So through Lent, we've been traveling with Jesus through the desert, 40 days in the desert. So Lent is a season to reflect on the life of Christ leading up to Easter week, which is this week. Next week is Easter Sunday. Friday is Good Friday. So this whole journey of Lent has been to get our cells in, in our spirit, in our minds, in our hearts, ready for this holy week. That's the idea of Lent. And so Jesus went out into the desert. He's tempted in the desert. And, you know, the reality is that we, we are always at some level in the desert ourselves. Meaning we don't have it all together. None of us. We all are wandering at some point. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian for one year, one week, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. We still have that aspect of ourselves that we are in the desert and we are wandering. Jesus takes them out into a, a lonely place we're going to see. Well, frequently we're in that lonely place. You could be in that lonely place this morning. In your own heart, your own journey your own feeling, in spite of being here in a group of people, you're feeling pretty lonely. And when Jesus looks out at the crowd, we're told that he's, he sees them and he, and he views them with compassion. John the Baptist has been killed by Herod. That's the context. Jesus and the disciples hear about this. And they go away to a desert place outside of Galilee, which was the territory of Herod. They make sure they do that to a lonely, quiet place. Why? Well, maybe they're afraid at some level. Maybe they need time to reflect. Something's going on. Jesus wouldn't be afraid, but I mean, his disciples could be. So he takes his group away. So as he takes them away, we read that when he comes to the shore... He sees them, note, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. They're traveling across the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee's in a bowl, and from around it, you can actually see down into it. It's, it's all surrounded by hills. And so they can see where the boat's going. So Jesus is going to the other side of the lake. The people travel on foot around the lake, and they get there before Christ does, and they're ready for him. And Jesus sees them, even though he wants privacy and quiet time, he sees them and his response is one of compassion. It's similar to what we looked at last week in Matthew 9. Jesus has compassion. Compassion is this strong word. He's, he's touched in his gut physically. He wants to be able to meet their needs. A strong physical reaction of compassion. So I don't know, what, what about us, you know, when we, we see people in need? We don't always respond with compassion, do we? Story of the Good Samaritan, man is beaten, he's living, he's walking, he's beaten up, and he's left for dead on the side of the road, and what happens? A religious guy comes along, priest, says, I don't have time to get involved. He looks at his watch, says, I got an appointment, and he walks by. And then another religious person, a scribe, get they're both religious persons, and they see, this, they see the same guy. The guy's dying, and they walk by the other side. 
Go downtown and somebody's lying on the street, looks like he's in need. It's very easy, isn't it, to walk on the other side. A third person comes along who, who isn't, quote, a religious person, who's a Samaritan. He's just a good guy. He cares. He's kind. He's the one who stops and takes care of him. That says something to us. The religious people don't stop and take care. Christians are not necessarily known for their kindness. We're supposed to be kind people. But if you talk to somebody and they hear you're a Christian, they may not think that you're all that kind. And so then what's our word of witness to them? Jesus has compassion. The Good Samaritan had compassion. The religious folk did not. So there's a bit of a pause there. There's a bit of a point of reflection on that, don't you think? What about us? Jesus has compassion and wants to meet their needs. There's a reference here in Ezekiel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. This is God speaking, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. It ends, but the fat and the strong I will destroy. As we open our hands, I often say that, right? As we open up our hands like this and live before God like this, just be ready to receive from God what he has for us instead of living like this, closed fists. And I have to control everything. It's all up to me. God wants us to open up our hands like that. Trust in him. And as we do that, he is our shepherd. That's what Ezekiel is saying. One of the great prophets. So Jesus sees the crowd and has compassion. If Jesus was here, and he is here, he looks at you, he is looking with compassion. Compassion means to suffer with. He suffers with you and me in our loneliness, in our hurt, in our pain, in our confusion, in all of that stuff. Jesus looks at us with compassion. Six individuals. I mean, Jesus, God knows each of our baptismal candidates way better than any of us, even our families. He knows our hearts. He knows our minds. He knows all about us. He's our creator. God is our creator. So he knows us, so he has compassion on us. Why? Because living life in our world's a crazy thing. Here we are, DNA characters walking around in a, on a planet, and everything's eroding us all the time. It's a challenge. God knows that. Jesus knows that. So then we come to the miracle. So there's Jesus' compassion, then there's actually the miracle, the feeding of the 5,000. You note, the text goes on and says, well, the disciples, they're looking at all this. They're not quite as compassionate as Jesus, by the way. They're pretty nice, but they're not quite there yet. So they see the crowd. They look at their watch. They don't have a dive watch. They look at their watch. Jesus, it's time. You've got to clear the crowd here so they can go home. Get something to eat. And Jesus' response is, no, they don't have to go. You give them something to eat. It's interesting, the text here. They need not go away, Jesus says. You give them something to eat. Well, that would get their attention. You is plural, and give is an imperative. You give them something to eat. 
So Jesus wants them to get involved, to get engaged. What is their response? Well, they've already checked it out. They've checked the place out. We have nothing here but five loaves and two fish. Scarcity. We don't have enough. Believe me, there are 5,000 people apparently there apart from men and women. So, by the way, the evangelists live in a patriarchal day, but they are mentioned men and women. So the men and women here count. Men we got already, sorry, women and children, right? Children count. Women count. 5,000 apart from all of the men and women. There may be 20,000 people there, we don't know. But they all count. They say, well, we can't do it. Impossible. And so what we see here is where we frequently are. What is our response? Inadequacy. We are inadequate. We can't do it. We might like to do it, but we can't do it. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. They say, we can't. We've got five loaves and two fish. So we also put ourselves in that place a lot, don't we? Churches do it, can't do it. The ministry's too big out there. There's no way we can do anything, so we don't try to do anything. One of the things I appreciate about our church family is our church family does try to do something, trying to do something next door. But we often live inadequately, right? We feel we are inadequate. I can't do it. And of course, many times we can't do it, but sometimes we shut ourselves down too fast. And we can do a whole lot more than we think we can do. And we live in fear, and we say, no, we can't do it. I can't do that. Maybe you can do it. Jesus says, you feed them. And so the, the, the importance here is for us to get engaged, for you to get engaged. What, what do you want to do? What do you really want to do in your life? Forget any religious overtones. What do you want to do? Jesus wants to know. What do you want to do? What is your dream? What is your vision? See, so, so many times we're so afraid to even ask that question because we shut down. We say, I, I can't do it. I can't do it. <sighs> Maybe your family, no one, no one's ever gone to university. Maybe you're the first one to go to university. I can do it. So I think we're invited in a text like this to actually ask ourselves, what do we want to do? Regardless of our age, whatever the deal is, we can do it. I like Stetson's story. You know what? It's not easy to stop smoking and drinking. And I'm not even saying you need to do that, right? He said, I need to stop smoking and drinking. And he was able to do that. Wow. That is amazing. You try breaking your addictions. You know about your addictions. How easy it is it to change? Not very easy. But God enables us. He enables us. So what is our dream? What is our vision? I think we can ask that, and we don't have to go immediately to, I'm inadequate. Jesus says, what does Jesus say? Give me the five loaves and two fish. Give it to me. 
And then he, he gets the people organized, and then he takes it, and he breaks it. And there are four verbs here we're going to look at it on Good Friday. He takes the bread, he blesses the bread, which means he gives thanks to God for the bread. Good Jewish people. Good Jewish people thank God for the food before the sermon, uh, for the food, the meal, and also after. I like that. Before and after. Conscious that this is a gift, food. He blesses and then he breaks it, the third verb, and fourth, he gives it. So he takes it, blesses it, breaks it, gives it. And so he does that also for us. You know, like we're that bread, and he will take us and break us and use us for his name's sake. And all that can be very painful. But as we do it, good things will happen. Good things in your life. You know, I don't know. A bunch of you I don't know. I don't know what your stories are. But Jesus wants to do something in your life. God wants to do something in your life. He wants to make, into you, make you into a great piece of art. If you go down to the AGL, they've got some Rodans down there. And there's one of the thinker. Rodin was a sculptor, the thinker. But to start with, Rodin, the sculptor, just takes a big chunk of marble and he starts chipping away at it. Every chip hurts. Hurts, hurts, hurts. And finally he ends up with this beautiful sculpture. You know, this sculpture, this piece of art. The thinker. But all those blows. And so all the blows that you've experienced and I've experienced can make us into something beautiful. He makes us into something beautiful. He's our artist God, and he does his work really. Amen. Really, he does. If we open up our hands, not keep living like this. So Jesus does something with it. We note that afterwards, what happens? There's more than enough, right? There's the abundance issue. He does that. He feeds a crowd of maybe 20,000 people with five loaves and two fish. What could he do with the 12 baskets full that are taken up at the end? Holy moly, now we could, we could feed a whole rock crowd out there, 100,000 people, 12 baskets full. Abundance, not scarcity. Feeding stories are all about that. And fundamentally from us, for Matthew, Matthew's wanting to tell his audience that Jesus is the Messiah. It's a question of identity. Who is Jesus? And we all have to struggle with that. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? It's quite remarkable, you know, that 2,000 years after Jesus, this guy who lived in Galilee, never traveled outside of Galilee, was only in ministry for three public years, three years, why are we still talking about him 2,000 years later? Why are there churches all over the world emphasizing the name of Jesus? Well, clearly, something's going on here. So, so what? What? Who is Jesus, and what does that mean for us? Matthew's saying, well, I'll tell you what it means. He's the Messiah. So if you know nothing, I would say, in terms of Christianity, I would ask you just to reflect on those questions. Who is Jesus for you? Who is Jesus? Why is everybody still talking about him? That would be a good exercise to think through. There must be something. 
They can't all be fools. What's in it? Be a good place to start. Because Matthew is encouraging the church, his church in the first century, consider Jesus and his identity. That's what this story is about. So going forward, a few points as we end. Jesus encourages us in our desert place, in our lonely place. In your lonely place, in your loneliness, I don't know, I'm watching Shrinking right now. Beth, can I mention that, Shrinking? I have to check with her, my wife, what, what I'm allowed to speak about or not. Anyway, Shrinking, it's, 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 for, it's a series on Apple TV, and it's for 18 plus, all right? So if you're not 18, forget it. It's, it's not really that crazy. I don't know why they do that. It's a story of three therapists and their clients. But the edges, the three clients, I mean, the three psychotherapists, psychologists, whatever they're called, they are all screwed up themselves. <laughs> they all have issues themselves. So they have issues, and they're trying to help people who also have their issues. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic. And so one of the therapists is in a session, and the person he's speaking to is a woman who clearly is in a relationship with her husband, and she's feeling very lonely, and she's wondering if she can hang in there and, and do it. And the psychotherapist says, you know what? I'm very lonely, too. You're not supposed to do that, right? But he just breaks down, and he's not coming on to her at all. He's just saying, I'm lonely. I'm a very lonely person. not supposed to share that kind of stuff in therapy. But he is. And she's lonely. And this is kind of his thing. He ends up being open to everybody and whether it's allowed or not. All right, So that gives it kind of the comedic element. But he's lonely. And we are often very lonely. We are in our lonely place. And Jesus comes to us to come alongside of us and to show his compassion and mercy and love. And God is there to receive us. God is for you. He's for you. You can trust him. You can lean on him. So we start there. And then secondly, he tells us that we're invited to partner with him. We're invited to say yes. Folk being baptized today, part of it is saying, I, I, I confess my faith in Jesus. And as was said, that's instead of the end, I, I want to do something for the Lord. That's partnership. It's just saying, and I think that's a very cool thing, that your life has meaning and purpose before God. God wants you to do something with your life, and part of it is saying yes to him. What exciting things can happen. If you're younger, man, you've got a whole life to live, and God's got exciting things for you. He's the creator of the whole universe, and he created you and has something for you. What could be better than that? How lonely to think that we are here just by luck and there's no God. And the whole thing, man, is just a, you know, snowball's chance and you know where to survive. God is there for us and he has a, a job for you. I like that. So don't just rush to, oh, I'm inadequate and I can't do it. 
He uses whatever we bring to him. Five loaves, two fish. So the issue is, what do you bring? What do I bring? I mean, man, my life, I grew up in eastern Toronto. My dad was a custodian. My mom worked at Simpsons. I mean, it was just like very, very basic stuff, man. Not far from the tracks. Played on the railroad tracks all the time. Came from Belfast. If I had lived in Belfast, back in those days, they did these exams, and by grade eight, you had to show that you could make it. You know what? I would never have made it. No way. They would have said to you, forget it, you can't make it. You can't do Latin, forget it, you can't do it. So you, you, they put you into another stream. That, that was Britain, that was Ireland in those days. So you come here and you have more opportunities. So you have opportunities. Chances to say and bring your gifts to God, whatever those might be. Whatever they might be. Five loaves, two fish. We're all valued. We're all art masterpieces in God's sight. So will we bring and give our gifts to God, whatever the nature? We're all gifted. Everybody is gifted. Everybody has a gift. So what is your gift? It takes time to identify all that, but keep, give it to Jesus. Give it to God, and he will do wonderful things with it. That takes faith, right? You have to, you have to say yes to that idea. God can do something great with your life. You can say, yeah, maybe. Or you can say, you don't know my life. I can do nothing. That's the, that's the point of faith. A little bit of faith, what does Jesus say? It can move a mountain. It can move a mountain. Little bit of faith. And so your challenge and my challenge on Palm Sunday is to take our little bit of faith and just give it. Five loaves, two fish. A little kid feeds 5,000, maybe 20,000. This little boy's got five loaves, two fish. He says, here. Well, how nice was that? Gives it. Feeds this huge crowd. And it makes a statement to Jesus' disciples and to all those people about who God is and what he wants. So I, I encourage you on Palm Sunday, think about it a bit. What can you give back to him? You've got way more to give back to him than you might be thinking. May we do that together. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.